Good morning, everyone. Hope, hope everyone is well. Uh, today I'm going to be reading the scripture from the book of John, uh, chapter 6, verses 48 to 71. So hang tight. So, I am the bread of life. Your father ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will rise up, raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the Father ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense to this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are the Spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Thank you. All right, so here we are. Following the liturgical calendar, Pentecost concludes next week. So uh, remember, Pentecost runs for seven weeks in the liturgical calendar. So it begins seven weeks after Easter, then runs for seven weeks. So it gives us an opportunity to think particularly as Baptists about the work of the Holy Spirit. So I think that's a, a good opportunity for us. The opening hymn, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we praise God, right? In this past hymn was a hymn, a recent hymn actually, by written by um, British writers, um, focusing particularly on the work of the Spirit. So that's we appreciate that artist's rendition. So life-giving bread. I, I like the connection that John makes between. Uh, the bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, but then he also later connects with the work of the Spirit. So it's a bit 
different. I like it. So what we see here, uh, I'm going to sort of track through the the story, uh, really the three units in John chapter 6. And so here as a map, we've got essentially Galilee, and the lake there is the Sea of Galilee. It's called Inner Galilee, Outer Galilee. To the far left would be the Mediterranean, right? So Jesus spent most of his time in Galilee. So this, this area is a blow-up of just, you know, the northern section of the country of Israel in Jesus' day. And so that's where Jesus spent most of his life. He also traveled south, obviously, into Judea, where Jerusalem was, but a lot of it was in the north. And so we're going to think in terms of the flow of the chapter, and there are three um, symbols that are used. And the first symbol is that of the mountain. And so the mountain shows Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, which is the greater context of this story. So why is Jesus saying, I am the living bread? I am the bread of life? Well, it flows out of the fact that there was just this miracle and 5,000 people were fed. So Jesus had taken his disciples from the middle of Galilee and crossed over the Red Sea, I mean, sorry, the Sea of Galilee, and there was a mountain on the far side, which was um, the area that was more uh, Gentile. And we don't see the mountain there, but there is a mountain. And Jesus goes up the mountain, if you like, and the people follow him because they... They've seen all the miracles that he's doing. So they follow Jesus into the desert and up towards the mountain where Jesus has brought his disciples, has sat down, and is teaching them. He's interacting with his disciples. So that's the picture. Jesus is on the mountain, big hill, interacting with his disciples, and he looks out and he sees the crowd coming. So he's going to respond, and that leads to the feeding of the 5,000, right? So the first symbol is the mountain. Second symbol is the actual, the sea. First symbol, the mountain. The second, the sea. Now, they're more than symbols, right? I'm just using language here. These are real events. And at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sends his disciples ahead on a boat, and they cross the Sea of Galilee, which is the sizable lake. Surrounded by mountains, The wind would rush over the the mountains and come down onto the lake and often would make it quite rough. And so the disciples are out there at night and they are afraid because they're wondering if they're going to flip and drown out miles from shore. Remember the story, Jesus goes out to them walking on the water. So there's the story or symbol of the sea. And then thirdly, we then go to the symbol, the reality, again, I'm using those words, of the synagogue. And the synagogue is the teaching section where Shadow just read from. So the language that he was using there, the words, that happens in the synagogue. In Capernaum, which was the town that he had made, his hometown, if you like, for his ministry for three years. So we have three circles, the mountain, the sea, the synagogue. And all of them will speak to us a little bit as we carry on, all right? So that's kind of where we're going. 
So the setup for the first one, I'm just going to read part of it. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Whoops, that's the far side. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews or the leadership, was near. And when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? So that's the clue that we start with. So Jesus ascends the mountain. He's teaching with his disciples. When it says he sat down, that means he's taking the position of a teacher. That's what, how a teacher taught in those days. He'd sit down, cross leg, and he would teach. She would teach. So Jesus ascends the mountain and looks out, and he sees the people coming, and he sees them. He's concerned about them, and his concern is that they are hungry. So we'll just go back maybe to that. Sees their needs. They're, they're, they're away from their towns, right? They're away from their homes. They're out in the wilderness right now, and Jesus is concerned for them. It's going to take more than a few hours to walk back around the Sea of Galilee. It's a good jaunt. He's concerned for their needs. He wants to know, okay, how can we feed them? The disciples say, well, that's, that's impossible. How could we do that? We, we, one, we don't have any bread. The closest town is a good ways away. We'd have to go at, how, how can we do this? They're thinking very logically, very organized, and their model is that of scarcity. So I want to keep that word scarcity. There's not enough. We sang that song earlier, there's more than enough in Jesus. There's more than enough in Christ. See, that's what we're saying. The disciples, though, are seeing scarcity, which we often fall into as well. In our world, in our own homes. Scarcity, I don't have enough. We think we don't have enough money, pay our bills. We don't have enough food, maybe, to totally feed our family. I mean, there, there are realities, right? So we all have needs. We recognize that, right? But what is the overall sense in our lives as believers? We can take on this picture that there is not enough. Jesus is not enough. I have all these concerns. So is our view one of scarcity, or is it the response of Jesus, which is abundance? You remember how the story goes, right? The disciples say, well, we don't have enough food, and Jesus says, well, you know, you feed them. You feed them. How can we do that? They go and find the five loaves, right? Three fish. This is all we got? This isn't enough to feed this huge crowd. Jesus prays over it, divides it, and you know the story. There is indeed enough, and at the end they gather up 12 baskets full of extra bread. So the picture, just as we begin, is how do we view our world? How do you view your world? If you are in relationship with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what's your sense? Is it a sense that there is not enough in spite of being in relationship with the Father, the Son, the Spirit? Or there is enough because I'm connected with the God of the universe. So it's a subtle thing, right? But, but you and I, we all have to make that 
decision. How do I see the world? In spite of my circumstances, we all go through tough weeks and months, years even. In spite of that, scarcity or abundance. And so what the gospel writer is saying, well, the, the only way we can do that ultimately is if we are in relationship with this living God. If we are in relationship with the living God, then God will provide. I have a sense that he will provide. I don't know how all that happens. I don't know how all the bills will be paid. I don't really know that. But I have confidence in God that somehow God will work in my life as I keep looking to him. Father, Son, Spirit. A sense of yes rather than a sense of no. So we can quantify, we can resign ourselves, and we can become hopeless. As Christians, we can do that. Or we can say, yes, I have enough, and I can smile in the midst of the challenges. So, do we complain or do we give thanks? In the story of the Gospels, the people frequently are grumbling, right? Israel of old grumbled a whole lot. At the end of this chapter, people are grumbling. They're grumbling with the words Jesus said. How can we eat his body, drink his flesh? And they start grumbling, complaining, murmuring. That's what the words mean. So do we complain or do we give thanks? Do we grumble or are we grateful? Canada Day, long weekend. Shara's dad says, you remember that you live in a very privileged country <laughs> with a lot of opportunities. You may be thinking, I don't have that many opportunities. You got a lot more opportunities here than you do in Bolivia, let me tell you. A lot more. Shara's dad says, hey, just remember how privileged you are. So, I mean, it doesn't always feel that way, right? But this is a great country to live in. Say yes, say thanks. I could be living anywhere in the planet, and I'm here. It's a good thing. So the first story, the story of the mountain. We move on. The sea. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat. So after the whole miracle that happened, the people want to make Jesus king. They want to make a political statement. And Jesus gets his disciples out of here quick because he doesn't want to get them caught up in all that. So he gets his disciples down to a boat on the lake and says, get going. Cross the lake to Capernaum. But it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, that's a long way out in the lake, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land towards which they were going. So the second picture, symbol, is the sea. The disciples on the sea at night. We are all caught up in the uh, story of the submersible that went down to the Titanic recently, right? In spite of all kinds of other crazy chaos in the world, we were drawn to this little boat 
submersible that went down. 13,000 feet was the goal to get down to the Titanic. Five people in the boat. Now, deepest I've ever gone is 200 feet. They wanted to go down 13,000 feet. When you're down there, even at 200 feet, you sense how far down you are. Because when you want to come back, there's a lot of drag. You have to kick like crazy just to go up five or six feet. Imagine how far down that is. <laughs> That's a long way. So the disciples in the sea at night caught in a storm. When they're down that far, it's pitch black. There's no light at all. There was a lot of fear going on in that submersible, for sure. We're down, it's dark, it's cold. And maybe they start hearing noises. You know how the story ends. So they're afraid. They're in the sea, they're on the sea, and they are afraid. So they're caught up in fear. And again, for us, we can be caught up in fear. Fear for yourself, fear for your family, fear for new beginnings, fear for health challenges, waiting for reports. Clifford, Natalie's husband, talks to his mom every day. She lives in London, in England. And one day goes by and there's no answer. Two days, there's no answer. Four days, there's no answer. So he gets a hold of his brothers who do not live in that town. You better go check on mom. I haven't heard from her in four days. And so finally, they had to get the police break in. They found the mom had fallen and had been out of it for four days. So there's a lot of fear there going on in the family. Fear, concerns, fear for her health, fear for her life. She had no water for four days. So you can imagine how challenging that would be. So he got on a plane and went over there. So he's over there right now. But I mean, that's, that's, that's just one story. It can happen out of the blue. Out of, out of, all of us caught up in fear. Caught up in storms. There's the storm. What about your storms? Jesus comes to them and he helps them in the midst of the storm. So we have our storms, right? We have our storms. We can get caught up in fear. Jesus went out to them and Jesus comes out to us. I like this statement. Um, I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution or you face troubles. NIV, NIV is troubles. But take courage, I have conquered the world. In this world you face troubles. So we all know that, right? We all face troubles somewhere along the line. But it ends with take courage because I have conquered the world. Jesus goes out to them in the middle of the sea gets in the boat, calms them, gives them a sense of peace, and they make it to the other side. So we see the symbol of the mountain, scarcity or abundance. We see the sea. The sea is one of fear or trust. 
Can I keep trusting even in the dark days? And then finally, we come to the synagogue. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that no one, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the, for the life of the world is my flesh. He is saying that in a synagogue. Synagogue, of, you, you can travel to Capernaum, which I have done, and the outline of that synagogue is still there. They've done all kinds of archaeological work in Capernaum. And the synagogue is smaller than this church. It's about two-thirds the size of this church. And there would be a chair at the front, seat of Moses it was called, and the teacher would go up to that chair and sit down, and the teacher would teach. And so that's the image. Jesus seated on that seat, teaching, and these are the words he's teaching. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. So we start with the words of Jesus. The words were wisdom. I am the bread of life. This is the first of the seven I am sayings in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Similar in some ways to the words of the woman at the well, you will never thirst again. Remember her excitement over that? So the words of Jesus are wisdom. And that becomes our soul food. We are invited to abide in Jesus. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. So that language becomes, if you like, Eucharistic. It points ahead to the whole story of, of communion, the Lord's Supper. Eat my flesh and drink my blood, meaning abide in Jesus. Jesus is our soul food. This weekend, maybe you're going to have a special dinner with family or barbecue or something, right? And you'll maybe enjoy that. But the food that we are really meant to abide in is the food of Jesus. He is our soul food. Abide in him. Look to him. Trust to him. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. Eat together. And then, finally, we have the connection to Pentecost. Jesus says, and he connects the words and the wisdom and the bread to his own life, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That's the Pentecost connection. It is the spirit that gives life. We, we need to really grab hold of that. It is the spirit that gives life. Jesus says the flesh is useless. What does he mean by that? He says in terms of going forward, living, abiding in God beyond death, the flesh is useless. We know that. When you die and I die, the flesh that we have left <laughs> is useless. It ain't going over to the other side in its own reality. It is the Spirit that gives life. It is the Spirit that gives life. The Spirit is able to enable us so that the bones, Ezekiel's bones, rise up. It is the Spirit that gives life. 
And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The spirit engenders life. You've all been around. My, 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 when my dad died, I got there just after he died. His body is still warm. But, but he's gone. So what is it? It's the spirit. The spirit can raise life and give life. The Spirit gives you life and me life, our loved ones life, the Spirit of God as we open ourselves to Him. There's no other way. No matter how much you might want to give 100%, you ain't going to do that in yourself. But the Spirit does. The Spirit gives life. He can do that. And Jesus says He does. It is the Spirit who gives life. And Jesus himself is going to experience it soon. Why? Because he's going, to, he's going to be crucified. And then the Spirit, the Father, is going to raise him. The Spirit gives life. And then he will enable us to have life. That is why we can live positively. That is why we can smile in the midst of real challenges. Why? Because the Spirit gives life. You may not win the gold medal. You know what I mean? You may not win the lottery ticket, 70 million bucks recently. You may not do that. Hardly anybody does. But it is the Spirit who will enable us to have life. That I think we need to hold on to. Here we have a little chart. The Spirit Inward, flesh, outward. The spirit is invisible. The flesh is visible. Spirit, spiritual. Flesh, material. Spirit is divine, his work in us. Opposite is human. The end is life, not death. So there is a divine principle. Not simply just a human principle, natural principle. I mean, that, there's a difference. There's an opposite here, right? So we're invited to hold on to that. As we conclude, the story ends. What happens? Many followers turn away. Kevin Quast, who was a friend of mine in Beth years ago, at, in those days, known as Ontario Theological Seminary, as a prof there, there are always those who reject wisdom and turn away. There will always be. Jesus is not surprised when many turn away. Jesus is not overwhelmed when many turn away. He, he knows. He doesn't like it. But he knows that many will turn away. There are always those who reject wisdom and turn away. You know some. We ourselves can do that at times. What happens? Jesus turns around and says, okay, what about you, my inner core? Are you going to turn away as well? And their response is no, believing and knowing. We believe in you. We know that you are the Son of God, the Holy One, the text ends. So what is your response? What is my response in this Pentecost season? Do we say yes or do we say no? Do we open up our arms and say yes to God? Or do we hold on and say, no, I just want to do it on my own? 
It's a challenge. It's a, it's a choice. Saying yes or saying no. Rejection or belief. Material or spirit. The spirit engenders life. Remember the word for spirit is breath. The spirit is wind. The spirit is just so soft. Just touching you. So may we be open, may we be responsive, may we say yes to the Spirit of God in our lives, and may we be encouraged this week that the Spirit gives life, and He will give you life, not just later, but life now. Zoe, life now. Living life, abundant life, Pentecostal life, Pentecost. The wind, the breath of God in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.